This morning we are continuing our sermon series. What is the name of our sermon series? Who can tell me? Did you say People's Choice Awards? Close. People's Choice. Sorry, I'm trying to get this adjusted. And uh, I'm, I'm actually, it's a sermon that I'm excited to preach. Um, I think it's a sermon that's timely, and, and I think it's one that, if you allow it, can actually change your life. Um, it's one that I try to live by. I'm not sure how successful I am, but it's something that is of, of crucial importance. And the title is, Where is the Kingdom of God? Also, if I get to the end, when I get to the part of zombies, put it this way, if I haven't gotten to James chapter 1, verse 22, just remind me, okay? But not right when I get to zombies, just like a minute after if I forget, okay? Can I have you guys do that? So that means you're going to have to pay attention for about 20 minutes worth of sermon this morning, amen? Thank you. Bow your heads with me. Gracious God, we want to thank you for all things. We want to thank you that you are the God who loves us and who has not abandoned us. We want to thank you that you are a God who continually reveals himself to us through the word, through your spirit, and through people. And so, Lord, we pray now that as we open up scripture, that you would have a new teaching for us, or rather just a refreshing of a teaching that's been true for thousands of years. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So this morning, our sermon title is, Where is the Kingdom of God? Now, initially, the way the question came in, it actually wasn't a question. It was just a statement. It was just three words. And the question went something like, um, if you would like to hear a sermon on something, what would it be? And the answer came back, Kingdom of God. Now, that is broad. Um, there's all sorts of things I could say about it. But the more I thought about it, prayed about it, studied about it, I found that there were three questions that need to be answered when it comes to the kingdom of God. So that what I'm going to try to do this morning for the next few minutes is answer these three questions. What is the kingdom of God? Where is the kingdom of God? And how do you become a citizen of the kingdom of God. So if we can do this the right way, if God helps us this morning, you will have an answer to what is the kingdom of God, where is the kingdom of God, and how do you become a citizen of it. So as we get started, I want to answer this question by telling you what the kingdom of God is not. All right? So the kingdom of God is not necessarily heaven or eternity. So when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, and when Matthew, if you notice, Matthew says the kingdom of heaven, because a good Jew in the first century wasn't going to use God's name. So it was called the kingdom of heaven, or the next three gospels, the kingdom of God. It is not, when Jesus is talking about this, it is, he is not talking about heaven or eternity. The kingdom of God is not a political government. So if you look for a kingdom or a government or a world power, you are not going to find the kingdom of God because it is not in any of those things. The kingdom of God is not one particular country. There is no country that is actually the kingdom of God. And finally, the kingdom of God is not led by politicians. Amen. That's that's good news. So the kingdom of God is not somewhere we can point to and say, if you make three rights and then a left and then you get to the yellow house, that's the kingdom of God. No, that's just Arthur's, okay? The kingdom of God is not somewhere that we can necessarily, notice I say necessarily, place on a map, 
but rather um, the kingdom of God is a realm where things are the way they should be. So let me, let me show you from the scripture what this means. When Jesus is teaching his disciples, now these, if your Bible is a red-letter Bible, when Jesus, these, these words would be in red, and Jesus is teaching his 12 disciples how to pray. And he begins, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Jesus teaches his disciples to pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I have a sense that at some point in your life, usually when you're experiencing something difficult, a trial, a, I don't know, tribulation, something unexpected, I have a sense that some of you may have said at some point, I just can't wait until what? Heaven. I can't wait until Jesus comes so that I can go to heaven. And we say those things when we're experiencing difficult times in our lives because our, our understanding is that in heaven, where God is, right? Heaven is technically God's house in some way. Um, that in heaven, things are exactly as they should be. And there is no pain. There's no suffering. There are no tears. There are no um, disappointments. There's no betrayals. There's no heartbreaks. There's no disease. In heaven, things are exactly as they should be because God is there and God is taking care of everything. So when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven... What Jesus was teaching his disciples and teaching us this morning is that our prayer should be that God's will be done here and now. Now, I don't know about you, but I believe in a God who doesn't live somewhere far beyond the galaxies and space. But I believe in the God that the Bible tells me is a God that is with us and for us and does not forsake us. So we could say it this way, that when God's will is being done on this earth... That there is grace, grace, and more grace. God's will is to forgive and to be merciful. God's will is to be generous and loving and kind. God's will is that people who are in need, whether it be physical, mental, emotional, whatever it is, God's will is that those people be taken care of. So when Jesus is asking his father that things on this earth would be as they are in heaven, what Jesus in essence is asking is that heaven come crashing down into earth. What's ironic about that is that heaven does crash into earth in the person of Jesus. God chooses to reveal himself in a person that would teach you and I what it means to not only love God, but what it means that God loves us. So that's part, like, part one of like a million. Just stay with me this morning because we're going to get through this. So then John, the Baptist who baptized Jesus, he's in jail, right? He's, he's going to get killed in, in a couple of pages, right? In a couple of chapters in the, in the book of Luke. And he hears that Jesus is going around and healing the sick and hanging out with the people you're not supposed to hang out with. So John, the Baptist, sends his group of students and says, go to Jesus and ask him, like, are you the one that we're waiting for? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of God? Or should we wait for another? 
All right, so John the Baptist, he had been prophesying, he had been preaching. There is a man named Jesus whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. Right, so he is building Jesus up. And then a few chapters into the story, he says, wait, is that the guy we were waiting for? And so Jesus responds by saying this, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor have good news brought to them. So Jesus, in all of his godness, responds to John's doubt by saying, are you the one that we were waiting for? He says, well, just tell him what you see. Tell him what you have seen me do. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news brought to them. Tell him, am I the Messiah? Because people were looking for something else. And Jesus' message to John is that the kingdom has already arrived. It arrives in the person of Jesus. So let me make a declarative statement. I don't think I have this up here. So if you have notes and you write fast, this is what I would write down. The kingdom of God is when healing, reconciliation, and redemption is happening. I'll say that again. The kingdom of God is whenever and wherever healing reconciliation and redemption is happening. I would say this, it is the place or the realm, the reality where things are as God intends them to be. So if your red light turns on and says, well, that's not this earth because things aren't the way they should be, I'm going to go ahead and say this and then get to it in a few minutes. That's just a cop-out and an excuse. If you're saying, well, you don't know my life, Pastor. You don't even know what I'm going through right now because you haven't called me in like three months. First of all, sorry. <laughs> Phones work both ways. <laughs> and you might be saying, like, you don't know. You have no idea. Maybe I don't. But it's a cop-out to think that you're going to point at the things in this earth and say, well, the kingdom isn't here. Because Jesus came, and when Jesus, and rather, when God in the human flesh comes to earth, I don't know about you, but in my book, it changes everything. It gives us hope. It gives us continual renewal. It gives us the ability to know that regardless of what we may be going through, we have already conquered. So I would answer the first question by saying that the, what the kingdom of God is, it is the place and the realm where things are as God intends them to be. So question number two, where is the kingdom of God? So we're going to go through a couple of verses really quick. So where is the kingdom of God? John 1, chapter 1, John 1, verse 14. I can't get into this whole thing, so just trust me when I read what I'm about to read. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, or God's glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. If you're new to this and you're just like, that's why I don't like coming to church, because this doesn't even make sense. I'm going to help you make sense of this. Substitute the word, word, for Jesus. And Jesus, or rather God, and God became flesh, and he lived among us, and we have seen the glory the glory as of the Father's only Son, full of what? 
full of grace and truth. God's will is for, is for grace and truth to continually be revealed in the world that is all around us. So first and foremost, where is the kingdom of God? It's where God is. And if God comes to earth and, and Jesus says that after he leaves that the Holy Spirit will be coming, we believe in a, what's called a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I'm not even going to try to explain it because I can't grasp it. But understand that the triune God, the Godhead, is one God who somehow beyond our comprehension, our best minds, cannot understand how God can be three and yet be one. But if God is in all three, then the fact that the Holy Spirit is present always all around us, then God is still making his home among us. There's one, there's one Bible translation that says that God tabernacled among us. God, in essence, set up church among us. So whether you're in church or you're outside of church, this is God's world. So where is the kingdom of God? The first thing is it's, it's everywhere. It's all around us. We, we look to where things are the way that this verse is, is kind of describing. And the city has no need of sun. Now this is Revelation 21. So understand the context. It's in the future. It's when Jesus comes to restore all things and make everything right and destroy all the evil. And it says, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light, and the lamp is the lamb. This is metaphor. This is symbolism. What this is saying is that if God is present, we have everything we need. So you could be living under a bridge, but if you have Jesus, then you have everything you need. I'm not being insensitive, I'm just saying. If you live in a 5,000 square foot house and you have Jesus, then you have everything you need. The Bible teaches us that if you have God, that if you have Jesus, you will have everything you need, and God himself will in essence be his, the light, he will be the sun, he will be the light unto your feet, and he will sustain you. He will sustain you. So we keep going. Where is the kingdom of God? It's where Jesus is. And if Jesus is in your heart, then where is the kingdom? Jesus would continue to go on and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's a way of saying the kingdom of heaven is here. I'm going to read two more verses that sound almost identical. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. It is here. Repent and believe in the gospel. Where is the kingdom? It's here. Jesus brings it with him. It's all around. One more verse. I think there's one more on this one. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So here's something you may not have thought of. What's interesting about this is that a few chapters later, Jesus would also send his disciples to heal the, the sick, to give to the poor, right? He, he, he tells them, go and do all of these tangible things that are actually going to change people's lives. And teach them that the kingdom of heaven has come near, is at hand. Jesus doesn't do this after he is crucified and resurrected and gone to heaven. He does this like at the beginning of his ministry, which means that the kingdom of God cannot be at some point in the future, in eternity, in some ethereal place called heaven. 
but rather the kingdom of God is something that you have access to today. Is that good news? Amen. Do I sound angry? I feel like I'm like, ah, because I want you to get it. (laughs) I want you to be able to, like, if you're a Christian, I don't want you to feel like, well, I'm just a Christian and these are all the things I don't do. It's like, I'm a Christian and I am having a blast living in the kingdom of God. That's what Christianity and faith is all about. N.T. Wright, um, theologian, um, says this, When Jesus summoned people to repentance and offered forgiveness of sins, he was, in essence, inaugurating the kingdom of God. So when he offers people forgiveness, you are entering into the kingdom. I don't know how many of you have ever done something that was so horrible that you know that that other person should probably not forgive you. Right? We've all done stuff. But you know that if you have been forgiven by that person that you have wronged, that feeling of being forgiven is something that is completely indescribable, describable with words. And it's the same when it comes to the forgiveness that Jesus gives you. It is that kind of exhale allowing you to know that you are in God's good grace. I'll make this other declarative statement. The kingdom of God is where is it is where and when repentance happens. It is when and where resurrection happens. So let me break that down. The word to repent is very simply to say I I've been living this way and when the Bible writers talk about repentance is You have been living, worshiping yourself. You have made an idol of yourself, or you are worshiping other gods, or whatever it is, but you're living a selfish life. So when the Bible writers say repent, what Jesus is inviting them is, you no longer have to live selfishly for yourself, because it's not worth living anyway. But instead, turn from this sinful way, and put your entire trust into Jesus, and he will sustain you. So when Jesus invites people to repent, he's not saying, hey, come up to the front of the church and confess all your sins. He's not saying, go confess your sins to everybody. No, what Jesus is saying is, once you've tasted and seen that God is good, there is no choice but to turn to him and put your entire life in the hands of God. So he says, repent. And the kingdom of God is anywhere there is resurrection. I'm not talking about people being raised from the dead. But I know that there are some of you in here who have felt dead, who have felt empty and overwhelmed and lost. And then you rose from that. With every end comes a new beginning. Resurrection happens when all of this has happened, but yet God breathes hope and you are resurrected into a new person. None of you are dead, but you may feel as though you are dying. The kingdom of God is when and where the Spirit of God resurrects and gives you a new hope and a new life. That's good news, my friends. There is nothing in this world that can ever keep you from the love of God. And the love of God will continually breathe God's spirit into you. So what is it? It's where things are the way they should be. Where is it? In essence, it's everywhere. 
And so the third question I want to answer, oh man, we're going quick. The third question I want, don't remind me about John 1.22 yet, James 1.22. And so the third question is, how do you become a citizen? Then he, Jesus, looked up at his disciples and said, blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Now, I know that different Gospels have this differently. I know that the Gospel of Matthew says, Blessed are you, no, yeah, blessed are the poor in spirit. But Luke, after doing all sorts of research, he comes, comes down to this understanding of the Beatitudes. Blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. The poor, the outcast, the people that have been marginalized by society who say, you did this to yourself, now live in it. It's your fault. It's your sin. Whatever it is, right? We've heard all this. Jesus is saying, I have come to give them the kingdom of God. They couldn't buy it. They couldn't earn their way into it. Jesus gives it as a gift. Blessed are you who are hungry when... In spirit or in the future, when? Now. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God brings with it a sense that whatever is happening in your life, that the kingdom of God and God himself has an answer for what you're going through. That whatever your needs are, whatever the the, the situation you find yourself in, God has a, a solution, or rather God has something that he wants to do in your life. So if you are hungry, you will be fed. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. That is good news. Amen? Amen? I would go on to say, and I don't have this in my notes, Um, What we read in our call to worship is that it is in God that we move and breathe and have our being. How are we citizens? If we're just open. If you have ever wept, if you have ever been hungry, if you have ever been poor financially or poor in spirit. And what that means is down, downtrodden or even humble. That means the kingdom of God is yours. You just have to reach out and take it. For it is in God we move and breathe and have our beings. And I, and I wrote something else in here. It says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when the Bible writers were writing that, the your body is actually in the plural. So you body of believers, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Which means that God resides in groups of people as well. You, as the body of believers in orange, are the temple. He doesn't say the building is the temple. He doesn't say, I don't know, other stuff is the temple. He says you, living, breathing, walking people, are my temple. And if that's true, then that has all sorts of ramifications that come with it. So, I want to talk about something now. A few years ago, two years ago, I believe, we, I met with a pastor that I admired, and I said, hey, I want to do what you did in a particular area of ministry. And he says, well, this is what I did. If you do this, then God will lead you. I said, okay, cool. I had a vision of what I was wanting to see, by the way. 
I already kind of had it planned out, but I would let this book, Experiencing God, some of you read it. I, I had this, this plan that this Experiencing God book would help me to fulfill the plan that I had. All right, so I said, okay, I'll just give it some time and then I'll implement this. So what ended up happening is all sorts of us, you, me, we met in small groups for weeks and weeks and weeks, and we went through this Experiencing God workbook. And in it, what we learned is that we should never ask, what is God's will for my life? Because that's selfish. But rather, what is God's will? And how do I become a part of God's will in this world? And so, um, you know, week after week, different things started coming up. And that's where we started our You Matter ministry, where it was us, you know, feeding our brothers and sisters who are homeless in the city of Santa Ana, um, and we were led there with another group that had already started doing it. And then there was all sorts of other things that kind of started coming up in the convalescent home. And so there was all these little things. And we, you know, the cold weather shelter, which you have, you have been doing for years, but it was something that kind of people began to realize, like God is leading us to actually show God's grace and love in actual tangible ways. Because that's what Jesus did. I mean, we just, we just saw that. Jesus met people's needs, their problems, and he tried to help them. And so what, ends up, what has ended up happening is that the thing that I wanted to do never took off and never happened. God didn't lead us down that path because that was someone else's ministry. But rather what God led us in Orange is that we would learn and begin to meet the needs of people, tangible needs. And that's what we've been about. Not just that, but that's one of the things that has been kind of compelling us and moving us forward. So I want to give you some statistics, and then I'm going to tell you why they make sense in a few minutes. Actually, in about a minute. How many of you have ever heard of the city of Detroit? I don't know. That's your participation. <laughs> I want to give you some statistics. The population has dropped to 700,000. It's lowest since 1913. 66 people leave per day, but only who? Only the poorest remain, because they can't get out. It has the highest violent crime rate of any large U.S. city. Los Angeles, New York, San Francisco, whatever. It has the highest unemployment rate of any large U.S. city. The average 911 response time, including violent crime, so if you call and say, hey, I just got shot, or my friend got shot, 58 minutes. There's no need to call the cops. <laughs> Only 33% of the ambulances there are functioning. 40% of the city streetlights don't work. There are more than 400 liquor stores and no grocery stores in some of these places. 47% of adults are, functioning, are functionally illiterate. 78,000 abandoned buildings and 66,000 abandoned lots. So this is a city that is grim. This is a city that here in Orange County, we're like, we don't even know what any of those numbers mean. Um, when I first heard these numbers, I said, they don't sound right. That, that's ridiculous. That's how far away we are. Because in Orange County, I mean, in the city of Orange, you don't really see homeless people either. That's why we have to go to Santa Ana. This is, if, if you live there, if you were a child growing up in Detroit and somebody tells you about the kingdom of God, they might understand that one day heaven will be amazing, but the kingdom here and now 
is nowhere to be found. So will you go to the next slide? I want to show you some pictures. This is just what some of the homes look like. Not all of them, but remember how many thousands of abandoned homes and lots. Those are just a couple of other buildings. Next slide. Stay there for a second. I mean, it's a place where where some people, I would say, still hope or still dare to hope and believe that something is better. I mean, this guy's like raking no leaves. And if you look in the background, look how abandoned all those buildings are. And yet this guy is like, I still have to keep it clean. One, one, more, one more slide, I think. In essence, we could even say that that place is, in many ways, desolate, has been abandoned. Not the whole city, I understand that. Um, you know, the, the, the image there is zombie land. On Twitter this morning, I said, if you're a fan of The Walking Dead or zombies, you won't want to miss this sermon. <laughs> but in essence, it's like a zombie land. It's a, it's a virtual um, apocalypse. It's a wasteland. For some people, they are living in hell already. But in the midst of that, next slide, we have kids who go to school. Next slide. These are people who are living in projects, whose parents can't read, um, whose parents have lots of kids. They don't have proper nutrition. And keep, keep going. In a class of about 28, I believe it is, there's like one or two kids that actually have backpacks. Now, these are nice pictures of them. I think we can leave it there because I think that's the last one. Most of you already know where I'm going with this. Um, we have a church member. Her name is Megan. And she is, what, 21 years old? 22 at the oldest? And she, for the last year, and now starting her second year, has been working for a program that is called Teach for America. And what they do is they select um, uh, graduates of college to go, and they send them to the worst um, places in, in the sense of, I guess, test scores and funding and all that. And they send them to work with children um, and kind of help and, you know, I don't know, help them to learn. So Megan is a 21-year-old um, American Irish girl from Fullerton, California, just to give you, I don't have a picture of her, um, for those of you who are our guests, um, and she has been implanted in, in Detroit. Some of you also know that she had experienced some, some health issues, and they couldn't really figure out what it was about, you know, what, what exactly is happening, and I think a, a part of the conclusion is that the environment that she was in was causing her all sorts of stress. Uh, she drives an hour into the city every day and an hour out, um, because she is compelled with, by the love of Jesus to reach out to these children and to love them. So I got a call from her this week. I'm going to see if I can find it here. I got a call from her this week, and we started talking. And so I said, what can the church do for you? How can your home family, church, what can it do to help you? And she says, well, a lot. She gave me a list that I don't have up here because I forgot to put it on the PowerPoint. But she gave me a list of things that if we could provide her with would make the world of difference for these kids who don't even have a box of crayons, most of them. She says, backpacks, I would love to have one for every student that does not have one, which are about 15, but any number of them would be great. Crayons, 24, pack, 24 packs. Markers, 12 packs. Erasers of any kind or size. Um, solid gray t-shirts, size 8 or medium or, or t- a kid's 10 and 12. 
gym shorts, solid color, medium, size 6, glue sticks. So she says, we run out of glue very quickly, and the school never seems to purchase these. Plastic pencil boxes, 12 of them. Small toothbrush and toothpaste sets. That should cause you sadness. Hand sanitizer, if possible, small or large. Um, Eight to ten small ones or two large pump ones. I'm looking at myself, I'm like, I probably have half of this stuff in my house. So when I was talking to her dad, he says, ah, I don't want to be the one to have to do this because I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want just to be pushing it because it's my daughter. And I said, well, it's okay if you do because it's your daughter. But I said, but it's important that she is actually a member of the Orange Seventh-day Adventist Church and the mission of God has implanted her in the city of Detroit and by extension, she is also representing the Orange Seventh-day Adventist Church. And so I, ta- I talked to her this week, and I said, I will commit to all of this. The church will somehow find a way um, to get all of this, and, and the board can get mad at me later if you want, but I don't think you will because you, you guys are all loving. But does this sound like something that we could do? So let me ask you now, where is the kingdom of God? everywhere it's everywhere and anywhere where you as a believer in God take the message the mercy and the grace of God and provide for others understand this if you're complaining because oh life is hard and all this stuff you've missed a the point of what it what it means to be a follower of Jesus who has given you grace but if you're the kind of people who carries the great cloud over you everywhere you go it's time to kind of reevaluate your life because the kingdom of God is present. But if you're waiting for someone to do something for you, that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is when you, you have heard this now, you are responsible for this now. This is our sacred calling as a collective church. We must now together as the temple of the Holy Spirit be the kingdom of God everywhere that we are being called to do it. This morning, we are being called to do this in Detroit. And some of you are just like, well, it's their parents' fault or it's their this or it's the system or it's the government or it's the president or whatever. I don't even care about any of that. You know why? Because God has called you to care for those little kids that we just saw. And you ask, why Detroit? Why not here? Next year, we will tackle the other side of Tustin. I guarantee you we will be there for that community. This year, we're just, God's allowing us to ease into it. Why did God send Paul all over the world to share his message? Why couldn't he have just stayed in one place? It's the same answer we have today, because God called him. And God is calling you and me to go out of our ways and do something so simple as to buy these things for them. So what we're going to do, I'm going to send it in the email, send it to each other. By the way, this, I had this conversation with her on Wednesday. This sermon was planned three months ago, or not, no, like two months ago. So this isn't some kind of public campaign for me to get more out of you. That's not what this is at all. This is God working in God's timing. This is a divine appointment, and we have to be faithful to where God is calling us. So we don't point fingers and blame why the system doesn't work. All we do is we do everything we can to provide grace and mercy and peace to these little kids that had no choice in being born into where they are born. 
So I'm going to send it around in the emails and then the next couple of days forward the emails to each other and then respond to the church, the church email and, and say what you can bring. Now, I know everyone, you know, we can all afford crayons and markers. Um, so if, if you're one of the people that can afford backpacks, um, let's not do something too fancy so that one kid doesn't have the most awesome backpack and then all the other kids have 99 cent backpacks. 20 bucks, we can all afford it, like a you know, $20 backpack or something. But if you are feeling called to do this, I'm not guilting you into this. If you're doing this out of guilt, please don't. But if you feel that God is calling you to be a part of the solution, then I ask to just reply to the email, um, text me, don't call me because I'll probably be driving and I can't write it down. Um, but let us know. Because the kingdom of God is where people like you and I have experienced the grace of God and we want to gather it and then give it to everyone we can. The kingdom of God is within you and it is everywhere. And God needs you to be his hands and his feet in this world. He needs you to be the Jesus to those who are in need. Amen. Gracious God, we pray now that A, God, I pray that we're all a little bit uncomfortable. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would stir in us this holy discontent to know that we must do something, not just for these kids, but for the people that are around us that are in need. May you help us to bring the message of grace to them in a way that they will understand. And may you continue, Lord, to draw all people to you. And we pray that you would get us out of the way as you do that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. There's a beautiful hymn found in your hymnals that are located on the pews that I'd like to invite you to turn to. It's number 363. We will not have any PowerPoint for this. We'd like for you to sing out of the hymnal. Many hymns have fairly complex words or sentences or whatever, So I wanted to go through this with you. It goes like this. Lord, whose love in humble service bore the weight of human need. Christ Jesus, in his most humble service, he came here to bear our need as humans. He hung himself on the cross in order to work his mercy's perfect deed. And we, your servants, his servants, bring the worship not by voice alone, but also by heart. We consecrate to his purpose every gift which he imparted to us. But look at the second verse. What does it say? Still, his children wander homeless. Still, the hungry cry for bread. Still, the captives long for freedom. Still, we grieve For the dead. And the Lord, in his deep compassion, he healed the sick and he freed the soul. By your spirit and your power to our world to make it whole. So today, as we worship, grant us your vision till your love's revealing light in its height and depth greatness dawns upon your quickened sight. What is that saying? until he comes in the clouds of glory, making known the needs and burdens your compassion bids us bear. 
His compassion is asking us now to bear this and let it stir in us the ardent service, your abundant life to share. He's asking us now to do that work for him, to make the kingdom here on earth. Sing this together with us right now. So we pray that we would continue to be faithful to you in our giving and in our spending and in all that you have done for us. In the name of Jesus we pray.
to the north and shout to the south that Jesus loves us. Stand up with us as we sing our closing song. to remember that Jesus brings the kingdom with him and that as long as we have Jesus Lord we will have all that we need until the day when you renew all things help us to be a church that is faithful and on mission and that we would be able to reach beyond just this place in the name of Jesus we pray amen